I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. Did I, and you that dropping could, your voice? That could be, that could be our <laughs> first so intro. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. <laughs> In this episode, we are delighted, thrilled, and honored to be joined by Eye to Eye co-founders David Flink and Marcus Sutra. What is Eye to Eye? What are we talking about? Goodness, listen to this incredible episode and keep coming back because we're going to keep this conversation going and keep expanding our deep dive into the world of neurodivergent culture. I think that this is where I'll just maybe try to do an introduction and, and start with a little bit of justice here. Um, so David Flink, Marcus Sutra are two really significant people in my story and in my life in terms of understanding the world of learning, uh, learning diversity, learning disability, neurodivergence, however we want to talk about this. Um, David Flink started uh, this organization called Project Eye to Eye that turned into Eye to Eye National, which is now something even like, what is it? It's just Eye to Eye now or either way, I don't want to butcher it. it. This organization has grown leaps and bounds. He's been, I mean, you've been nominated by CNN as like, like person of the year, right? Like you've had these like incredible, like here's a hero moment kind of thing. But you've really, I think, created a network of community around neurodivergence spanning almost every state in this country, which is pretty incredible. And if I'm just going to do it, Marcus, I'm going to say, like, <laughs> you were so much around, like, the connections and relationships of this organization. You have been, if I'm going to say, like, the personification of boots on the ground, um, trying to create this change, working with school systems, people on like every, so many different states, different levels of socioeconomic class. And I think that you have been like a champion for so many people in this industry. I think you both have so much to talk about in terms of neurodiversity and, you know, ADHD in general. And in, I guess what I would say then is, Isabel and I recently had the opportunity to go to the OI, which is your organizing institute. And Isabel, I want to maybe like, you know, I'll put you on the spot with this, because I think for someone that is neurodivergent that has never been to an OI, doesn't know what an OI is, it's like me talking about a snarf blat, like it's a word, <laughs> but no one really knows what it means, except mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. So like, um, Marcus, David, like, what made you all think about creating an OI? What's it for? Why does it work? Give me the guts. Uh, great. Marcus, do you want to start to explain the OI and then we can kind of look to the future of what it's really about? Like, I think we have to like ground people who are listening on like what this thing is that we're talking about. Yeah. And then like, it's really a launching pad for the school year ahead, but really for the next 25 years. So maybe that's a good way to begin. Yeah, sure. 
So um, the event is official full name uh, is the Young Leaders Organizing Institute, but everybody calls it OI. Um, and the very first one uh, was held back at Jersey City University in 2005, and it's happened every single summer, um, uh, except for two years where we weren't able to host in person during the pandemic, but we hosted it virtually and had uh, hundreds of students participating in that event as well. And it's young people from all over the country uh, who come together to basically build community around their own neurodivergence, their own lived experience of being someone uh, who you know has a learning difference, learning disability, and uh, learning how to build that community, learning to be a leader, learning to tell their story, and then going out and spreading that work and leading that work around the country. Eye to Eye is a youth-led movement, uh, and this event kind of kicks off and helps facilitate the beginning of our work throughout the year. Um, so you really have young people coming together in all different ways. Some are, are already activists in the LD space or in the ND space and have done speaking and have done advocacy and done community organizing locally. And some are brand new to it. And their school has just said, you're a leader and you should go to this conference and learn how to work with eye to eye. Um, and they come together from all over the country and learn uh, basically how to how to build community uh, for their neurodivergent school community and, and everybody uh, in the surrounding towns. It's it's something like it's it's one of those things that fits neatly in a sentence, but it's so much bigger. So you're I know, taking your... I know. Sorry, David. Right now, I'm like, I'm sorry. I just can't stop smiling because I'm. Like, <gasps> I mean, even just the idea of a youth-led movement. You're not kidding, mm -hmm. okay? I just want listeners to really take that in because I needed to take that in. Does that make sense? You know, you toss these words around like, oh, it's a grassroots movement. Oh, youth-led movement. Oh, we're asking people to like tell their stories and spend, oh yeah, of course I support this. No, the impact of being in a room of people who have come together to talk, think, share, be vulnerable. This it's the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and the, and the parts themselves are just like these brilliant beams of light. Okay. So I'm just saying, like, I'm just adding a little, a little color commentary. This is incredible. So anyway, please, I didn't mean to interrupt. I think the one thing that I wanted to jump on there and you're not interrupting at all is that like, there are eye to eye chapters in how many States now? A lot. Oh. Yeah, over 20 states. Okay, over 20 states. And so you're you're having to like one or two people from every program come to this centralized location to build this community and, and talk about culture and making a difference in the world. Yes. And, and, and go on, yeah. Yeah, so two students from each of these schools, so um, come to the organizing institute this year was held at University of Denver and um, Colorado, and um, they learn to, yes, to tell their story, they have an incredible time coming together as, you know, as a community and sharing, but also they learn real tangible skills on how to be leaders and how to implement a program. And I think that's something that's really special about eye to eye is it's not just a conference. The conference is the beginning of the work. And every single one of those students who comes from their community really represents another 10 or 20 students back that they are going to help guide through the program throughout the year. Um, so it's these are just these are the leaders who are running these programs on the ground. And we are a youth led movement and student led movement. And this event has allowed us to give students the skills and really just the, the empowerment uh, so that they feel seen, heard and valued and connected in community so that they can then make that so for others. Um, you know, I often say, like, we learn to we teach students to put their mask on first so then they can go help put somebody else's mask on. And and we're talking in that moment specifically about like an oxygen mask as opposed to like the masking and hiding who you are 
part of the mask. Like, yeah. we're, we're taking those masks <laughs> off, putting the oxygen masks on. <laughs> so then looking at you here, Flink, just kind of shifting, one of the things that I get kind of curious about in life is it's hard to dream about things you've never seen before. It's actually almost impossible. Um, which is why parents be very careful about what your kids watch <laughs> at a very young age. They will have dreams. But but realistically speaking, what led you to dreaming about making something like eye to eye? And how did you go about that? Well, I have to say, um, and I don't really know how to co-dream in reality, but I can tell you that eye to eye was absolutely uh, something that was created through the spirit of whatever a version of co-dreaming might be. And I would even argue while this year was celebrating our 25 years since inception, and that's not really hard to do the math. It's September right now. I don't know when folks might actually be listening to this, but I stepped onto a college campus 25 years ago. But I would say the co-dreaming really began when I met Marcus Sutra. Because the original version, and you mentioned this, David, in the introduction, was a pretty small dream. You know, I just thought no one had told me at any point throughout my entire education with authenticity that there was something about my learning experience that was powerful and right. Now, I will say I hit the family lottery. I hit the teacher lottery. I had a lot of things going for me. So I did have people who were cheering me on. I know not everybody has that. So the early days, I really just wanted to help one kid know that they weren't alone and as somebody who's neurodiverse myself, to be able to share that with authenticity to a young person, that felt like enough. And it wasn't until, thank goodness, I met Marcus, where I would argue the co-dreaming is what allowed this thing to be now, as you generously described, an organization that's changing the nation. You know, I think we came together, we had different life experiences, um, and we started to co-dream, and we realized what would it look like if we brought people from different backgrounds, different states, um, different socioeconomic uh, orientations, gender, race. I mean, what, what I love and what you all saw at this national community you just came from is what I really believe we need in America, which isn't just to tell young people that they have power, but to do so across our differences. We hear a lot in this country about how divided we are. And what I feel and what I've seen and why this is so important to be a youth-driven movement is young people who come to this conference from all backgrounds and they, they find a way to love each other through their experience of learning differently. And for me, when I think about what's the next 25 years of our organization, it's about helping these young people find their power and what's right with them, helping the adults around them who do love them, but who don't always know how to love them. And we have figured out ways to help educate educators so that they can more actively and effectively say yes to when young people ask for what they need. Um, and we've also engaged our allies now. I think we've come to realize, you know, it's not just the one in five who are neurodivergent, it's the four in five who are in this community with us who also are oriented towards love, um, but need to understand how to kind of cross communicate, which is why we're so excited to be on this podcast, by the way, because you all are doing that as well, helping everybody who's listening figure out a way to just understand this neurodivergent journey. I'm just going to soak all of that up <laughs> because I think like, and, and, Marcus, I didn't mean to even minimize your role in, in how much you've been a part of like putting eye to eye together and making it as what it is today, period. The, the part, and, and I'll shift here to you, Isabel, a little bit. Like the part that I often think about is the, the end, the neurodivergent, the learning, dis like 
different. However, we want to talk about our community. It's a real community that has significant parts of culture that get buried. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't see our cultural parts because we're trying to hide them all. And and you know, Isabel, what was it like for you to attend this organizing institute? What was it because you're here? You are. Look, I don't think I'm spoiler alert. You're a grown up, right? <laughs> you're pretty successful. Um, okay. And what is it like now for you as a grown-up to go to this OI experience? I mean, goodness, our listeners are probably going to get a big heap of my big feels about it. Um, I, 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 I think, you know, it's interesting because I think as I'm listening to you, David, and you, Marcus, sort of describe where I'm just, I mean, sorry, it's just like really sinking in for me that this is 25 years in the making. Because I think sometimes when you experience something, you're like, of course, this needs to exist. And now it exists. But I can't imagine all the years of blood, sweat, tears, organizing, connecting, building momentum, fundraising, like pick a thing, right, that you needed to do to give it legs, you know, like give it a place to go. Like the thing that struck me first off, as soon as I walked in, and this is seemingly minor detail. This is major detail because, David, when you're saying like we spend so much time not even knowing we have our own culture, sort of, I I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be proud. I'm 39 years old. Whoa, that means I survived 39 years. I'm proud of it. Imagine that my whole life, and I've been to many a conference, too many, perhaps, okay? And I've got like my conference mode. I've got my like my business, you know, my business casual sweater I put on because it's always too cold. I've got my pumps or my sneakers because goodness knows I'm going to be walking for, you know, like I got my mode. I walk into this building and first off, I am taken aback because, okay, picture this, everyone. There are big signs everywhere and the signs indicate where you are and also where you need to go. Hands up if you've ever been to a conference where you're just in like some nameless, faceless hotel convention center and it's just these teeny tiny rooms and they're all named like the Oak Room. And you're like, where to go to the Oak Room? And they're like, oh, second floor left of the lobby. And I'm like, that means nothing to me. I've forgotten already. Um, so I've never been to any event at a conference on time, even though I arrive like half an hour early. Um, I'm always literally drenched in like, you know, when you get fear sweat and it's got like, I, I'm, I'm a kind of stinky person and it's got a smell to it. And then you're, I'm like, great, I'm going to be stinkier. And now I'm meeting new people and I have to sit close to them. Okay. That's the other thing. And then you get in and you have to like sit right next to people on top of people all facing forward, watching someone in front. Okay. So first of all, walk in, there's signs. I know where I'm going. I don't get lost at all. And there's a sign about every five feet. And it's like, actually has arrows and things that I'm like, oh yes, now I understand. I will go here. I get there ahead of time. First off, as I get there, I pass a wonderful array of snack foods. And they're not those like kind of old apples that you're always like, yikes, no one wants to eat those apples, but they're going to. They're like crunchy and sound. And like, they all have those wrappers that make lots of noise. And I'm like, well, <laughs> those are the snacks I would like, but I normally avoid at a conference. And then I get in and there's like these beautiful, the tables are spread out. The chairs kind of have little wheels you can move you don't have to be on top of each other some people are sitting there making friendship bracelets some people are sitting there doodling some people are sitting there like laughing and it just feels so welcome and warm and friendly and then someone starts talking and they have things to say i actually want to listen to <laughs> all right that's my rant but this is what it feels like okay 
So folks are listening, they understand the truth of where we came from, because where you ended was really all we ever had at the beginning. So the last thing you said was people were saying things that you actually wanted to hear, which if we've all been to conferences, we know, even if we had the sign, and even if we didn't have the fear sweat, and even if the seats didn't have the wheels and we didn't have the fidgets, when you finally sit down and the person starts opening their mouth, immediately my mind goes, I don't know what they're saying, because it's not interesting to me at all. Now, so I just want to go back, and David Kessler, I'm going to put you on the spot, because I want people to know where we came from. So David Kessler, you came to one of our earliest conferences. We're so lucky you've been a part of our community for so, so long. You also have co-dreamed with us. And we did not have signs. We did not have snacks. In fact, I very much remember Marcus and I were on campus, None of the students had arrived. We did not know where they were. And luckily, through nothing sheer of love and trust, I called David Kessler and I started, you were at the airport and do you remember this? You were at the airport and you were about to get on the bus. I said, don't get on the bus. And I gave you a list of vague descriptions of people who were all ADHD and just wandering the airport. I was like, go find them. <laughs> step in from here. I love this. But this is where we began holding the one thing that was true, which is at the end, we had things that people were gonna say that was meaningful. But what did you do, David? Cause this is what is the embodiment of our community. You didn't shame me for one. You said, I'll get off the bus. And then what happened? I'm on it. I'm excited. Let's do this. And I think one of the last things I, I remember you saying is like, they should be wearing, look for people that, that look lost or have eye to eye here. And I was like, got it. And, and so I was running through the airport. And like, whenever I'd see anyone with an eye to eye thing, I'd be like, you, eye to eye, you're here. And they're like, yes. I'd be like, come with me. We have to find the others. And like, we, 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 <laughs> the quest. We're, like, we're like, it was like, collect them all like Pokemon adventure. But like, like didn't know it. it was like, all of a sudden we had like, you know, 15 people. We're like, we're like, we're like a crew working through like screaming, like, who's here for the eye? Like people don't know what's going on. People do know what's going on. It was amazing. And I think like, we filled one bus and sent it back and there was like another bus we had to like set and, and like we kept finding it was so much fun i remember i had so much fun sorry doing that uh play <laughs> and it was like it was like i can help i can help people and all they want me to do is be nice to people <laughs> it was that was like sorry so much fun so i put david on the spot to share that story because i really appreciate what you said isabel and also when I think about the next 25 years, like we're gonna have all the snacks, we're gonna have all the fidgets, we're gonna make sure the environment is supportive of your needs and everyone's needs. We figured that stuff out. That's really been important to us. And so I really appreciate those reflections, but we haven't lost what David Kessler did. And we haven't lost what you experienced at the very end of your story, which is, I feel like organizations can lose themselves. We are an education equity organization. We are youth driven, as you said at the very beginning. And now our jobs, all people, I'm a little older than the 39 years. I got you, you know, by four, but we're in the same bucket. We are here to set up the next generation of young people to ask for what they need and to change the school systems forever. And it's been a privilege to go from the young person who was doing that and David from you doing that to now we get to talk about how we're really supporting this next generation. So when we go to visit schools and it's such a diverse group of schools that we work in, I feel so excited because the kids aren't looking where to go. They're just waiting to say what they need to say. There's a, what they need to say. There's this moment where I want to be a little cynical 
you know, coming from a world of therapy and psychology, one of the things that happens in therapy that isn't always so helpful is just like going into the gory details all the time, right? That the trauma, trauma bonding, it's not so good. And so I'm very used to like people saying, you got to share your story. And then like, I almost want to eye roll like, well, yeah, okay, like I really want to share my story. And then I, this is, this is a long time ago, by the way. <laughs> but then when I met you, Flink and Marcus, one of the things you were talking about, like at the OI was you need to know your story. Talk, talk about your story. Talk about how you got here. And I remember thinking when, when, I, when you were saying that, Marcus, like I'm a fraud. Mm-hmm. Like the last thing I want to do is tell anyone how I got here. And I don't think that's going to be really healing for anyone. And then Marcus, I think you let it off by talking about your story. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and I'm not here to share your story, but like, and then another person shared their story. And what I started noticing when I'm hearing everyone's stories, how much, like how much I wasn't alone, how much of these things that I felt like I needed to hide, like everyone else was talking about. And it was like this first time where like I became aware of a culture. I didn't even know the, it was culture back then. I just became aware of like, I'm not, I'm not deficient in this group. I'm not different in this group. And, and I'm wondering like, Marcus, what was it for you where you realized, was there a moment where you realized like, we need to hear these kids talk about their stories? Like, was there a story in particular that you heard? Like, how, how did you really come to, to like understand this need and like, where did you see it work? Yeah, I mean, I think really the phrase that I've often used, I think that eye to eye does in the beginning of our the process we take people through being going from like not talking to anyone about this to being ND and proud to be like proud of their neurodiversity is a badge that they wear. And we've made the invisible visible. And there is this hidden culture, there is this hidden connection, there is this hidden bond that we have from everything from how we experience the trauma of going through school and being labeled different and medication and all those things that young kids are going through as they're developing. So something as simple as, I know a dyslexic person by the fact that they point at the menu when they go out to dinner, that they point at the food item they want as opposed to say it because they're afraid they're gonna read it out loud wrong. Like I have been at dinner with people and had to watch them do that and go, you dyslexic? <laughs> and they'll go, why do you ask me that? And I was like, because you didn't want to pronounce the Italian dish wrong and you pointed to it. And so like, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a hidden aspect to this. And I, I think that there was a young point, there was a point early, early on that I was wondering, will, I saw this working for young adults. I saw this working for me. I saw Dave tell his story. I saw, okay, there's value in his story. I connected with it. We had never even met each other. Like the first time Dave and I talked on the phone, we just started telling you, he, he just started telling me his story. And then I was like, this guy is from Atlanta. He goes to Brown. I grew up in Massachusetts. I'm at Keene State. Like we don't know each other. And he, everything he's saying, like nine out of 10, I'm connecting with. And, but I was working with a young student and um, in eye to eye, uh, be, you know, before I went full time at Iowa, before we had enough money to pay for both of us to have a job, uh, <laughs> a teacher, and I was running an eye to eye chapter after school and working in, a, in another school that I wasn't teaching in and working with a group of mentors and running the art room there. Uh, so we call the art room because we do art projects with students to build social emotional skills. And the project we were doing at the time was called, uh, was called the invention project. 
And the idea was to think of something that, um, you know, Einstein was dyslexic and he was an inventor. So that's kind of where the origin of this idea came from. And a lot of dyslexic inventors and innovators invent something that would deal with the biggest problem you have in school. Like think about what was the biggest thing that's tripping you up that makes you hate school the most. So some kids were picking academic things like spell pens that spelled for them and, and kind of more like specific things that were tied to that. But this other kid, this kid said to us, he said, I hate school because I get bullied for having to use extended time in school, like in, in class, like having to take a test. He has to leave the room, all of that. And I, I'm ashamed. He was shamed by it. So he created this thing called the bully be gone. And it was this like invention that would shield bullies, like what they were, they were saying, it would bounce off of them. He called it the death star for bullies, like nothing could get through. And the way he was able to use art and in a space around other young people and to communicate the thing that he was struggling with at most, and then to have other near peer role models give him advice on how to navigate that problem. I was like, this is something truly powerful. And this is something that is powerful for a 19-year-old, a 25-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old. And it didn't matter where we were from or what experiences we had. That was that emotional experience and that ability to support each other and build that community that actually tangibly made a difference in people's lives. That moment with that kid, TJ, that was when I was in. <laughs> so many feelings. So many feelings. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, you, okay. I'm, and my brain is going 80 places. Something that I'm thinking about as you're talking, one, I, I'm so curious because you two, David and Marcus, you both like have really cool, like, like not to say that eye to eye isn't a job, but you also have like a lot of expertise and like cool stuff you like have added into the mix, right? Like Marcus, you were just describing running this art room and like as an educator, right? Like, so like there's, I want to know a little more. And I want to know a little more how you got each other's numbers, because I'm like, that's so cool. And also, who put the who put the two together? What's the meet cute here? Um, and then the other question I have around or the other thought I had as you were sharing that story, because I don't want to, I'm just going to go everywhere, was, you know, the import, like what I think about is like trauma mastery, right? Which is like that impulse or that sense we have when we have survived something, even when we don't label it a trauma or recognize it as such, which for the record, I just want to speak to bullying as a massive trauma. Okay. Like it has massive long-term impacts on people. If, especially if it goes unrecognized and unacknowledged and there is no recourse. Right. So like, this is a real thing that happens that devalues you. It dehumanizes you. It leaves you feeling less than, and it changes a lot of how you then relate to others in the world, including yourself. So imagine it's this big deal thing, okay? And you're able to put art or movement or just expression to it because it goes beyond words, right? Like you could talk about it all day, but the fact that like you can express it and have someone who kind of like resonates with that, what I think about is what it means for those near peer mentors, like the older kid, I say kid, <laughs> young adult, really, right? Who like, wait, youth, the youth, the older youth. <laughs> I said so old. It's fine. Um, what it means for them to like, it's like you want, I, I, I know for myself and it's not just because, you know, I'm a parent, like I, this is how I feel for all my clients. Like I want to spare you the suffering 
that, you know, I, I went through ultimately, right? Like, I, I think like you go, you go into these helping fields, you go into this work because you're like, I just want the world to not have that, you know, like I want to make it a little better than it was before I got here kind of. So I'm just, I'm struck by the amount of healing. And when I say trauma mastery, like what happens when you help change the outcome of another person's story? It's not your job to, it's not your role to, but to recognize that you matter and to recognize that you can kind of like transmute that wound into something that like helps someone else feel less alone. I just, I, I mean, when you say you felt it in that room, like, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of waxing on, but it's like, I know that's like the healing, you know, like you felt the healing. <laughs> I've talked a lot. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I think that that makes, that was also when I saw it happening on the other end with our young adults, the people often ask like, why, like, I'm always surprised young people keep showing up. There's a little piece of me that's always like, just so happy that they keep showing up. And I think one of the big fundamental differences between us and other organizations maybe have brought people together in this to solve the same kinds of issues or work through the same kinds of issues is that the first thing we say is your story matters and it can change the life of someone else. And it like every time we started Night Eye in those first few schools, they would say, you know, we try to support group for for the, for those students and nobody showed up. There was free pizza, the whole thing, and nobody came. And I was like, I think because you labeled it a support group and you and the only draw was free pizza and like which they can get in the dining commons. So it was like, how do we bring people together and say your story matters and you have something to do that you can make a difference? And it was that tangible action that they could take that made the difference and made the shift that they could do. They could use their story to change another person's life. And then there was a sense of responsibility and ownership to that, that they had to communicate that to somebody else, uh, as well as it kept filling their cup as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something, something's shiny. That's right, just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks.